0: <laughs> good morning. How are we? Hey, this is kind of nice. I guess we just need a virus for people to talk longer. That's great. Um, well, it's uh, it's good to be with you. It really is. And uh, just for the record, this is uh, a pastor's least favorite Sunday of the year because sleep matters. And so that losing that hour Uh, was not fun. I don't know how it was for you, but glad to see you guys here nice and early. And uh, I just wanted to go over a couple things before we dive into the text. One is um, just as a way to, to care for the congregation well and Uh, and be informative and not just simply trying to alarm people things that are not necessary either. The newsletter is the primary way that we get information to you guys. So if you're on that, you know that I sent something to you yesterday just to kind of give you guys precautions and ways that we are caring for ourselves and our community and one another as a church. So just take note to see that. Uh, You'll get informed on all the ways we're doing that. And if you're not on that newsletter, you can always get registered uh, through the info desk. Um, One announcement is our baptism class is next Sunday, so I want to remind you of that. If you've never been baptized as a believer, if you love Jesus, have trusted in Jesus, and have never taken that first step of obedience, that class is really a good first step. And Even if if you're like, I'm not really sure, uh, God might be moving and stirring in you, that's not like, I'm I'm getting dunked, it's more I'm getting informed, and uh, so we can kind of teach you and encourage you, because we see in the scriptures too that those who get baptized should what they're doing. Romans 6, we think, clarifies that. So uh, make, you can register right at the info desk if you want on your way out or online as well. And uh, that class is uh, next Sunday. It's just about 45 minutes following the morning service and it would be a joy to have you with us. I um, wanted to encourage you with just uh, a missions update. Um, we serve a number of people who plant churches, not just here, but across the area. And you guys know about Shabbos in Pakistan. And one of the things that we love to do as a church is as giving. Increases. We want to give away more, and so we don't just want to hoard for ourselves. We want to be generous, and um, and so one of the ways that he wanted to let you guys know that our increasing of funds that we're now giving him monthly, I think we bumped that up to about uh, fifteen hundred bucks a month. With which, so you know, in Pakistan is like a hundred grand a month for you. Uh, money goes really far there. Uh, they were able to actually get these kids an education they didn't have. So um, super encouraging. He calls it just a, a bounded slavery for these kids uh, that can't learn. And so here's just some of them uh, in their church learning, teaching, they're able to buy a bunch of school supplies and uh, get going in that way. I hope that encourages you uh, knowing they have the priv- privilege of education because of your generosity um, and the ways that we're loving them. Also um, don't have a, a photo for this but Pastor Wilson in Haiti, they just finished a, a 40-day fast and praying. Um, they're just joggernaut believers uh, down there and they just love to seek God's face and so uh, they just, he wanted you guys to know. know. They've been uh, praying for us in particular, um, praying that we would love him and know him and grow in our knowledge of God, and so he wanted to uh, encourage you as well. They're under a tremendous amount of stress and duress. Just with civil unrest and things happening in their country, as I'm sure you know. So I want to pray for them, and then we're going to dive into 2 Peter. We're going to start um, a new letter today, uh, Peter's second letter that we just finished his first letter, and I'm excited for all God will uh, reveal to us. So let's ask Him for help. Jesus, thank you that we have the scriptures. Thank you so much that we get to learn from you and learn from what you've revealed. We thank you for faithful brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who are laboring for the cause and mission of Christ. Thank you for Pastor Wilson, pray to encourage him and the faith family there today that you would uh, build them up and give them strength and perseverance amidst deep difficulty. Pray for uh, Shabbos. He com- continues to minister in a very hostile area of Pakistan in that brick kiln that um, you would not only um, be kind in converting more people to the knowledge of the gospel, but you would use him. Uh, in merciful ways, to engage in ways that are helpful and winsome and practical and we thank you that these children are able to grow in their education, things that we take for granted here. Thank you uh, for using the generosity of your people uh, to give them a grace in that way. And God, help us uh, just to love you, help us to be conformed more to the image of your son by being here this morning. Thank you that we get to worship you and that we get to be among others who believe the same. Uh, Use us, conform us, and change us and challenge us in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, we're in Second Peter. So if you have your Bible, go to Second Peter. If you don't have a Bible, I always say there's Bibles in the back. Take them; they're um, free for you to take. Second Peter is a letter uh, by which this is the same guy who just entered, uh, exited First Peter, which we talked about. Elect exiles, which is a guy who uh, knew Jesus, loved Jesus, was a follower of Jesus. He was called by Jesus to share the message of Jesus. He was very human in his ministry. If you read and do kind of a biographical study of the Apostle Peter, uh, he failed Jesus many times. He doubted Jesus. Jesus. What's amazing is you see Jesus restore him to himself and continue to use him despite him for God's glory and Peter's joy. So Peter's on the ground writing to people who uh, know what it's like to be oppressed and rejected and opposed and afflicted for the cause and mission of Jesus Christ, and what he does is he basically lays before us what it means to be a chosen child of God, what it means to be an elect exile, and what he did was in the first letter laid all those truths before you, now what he wants to do is basically give you what I call a spiritual slap on the pants to say, let's go now, all right? You know who you are in Christ. You know what is before you. You know the opposition you will receive, so uh, let's go onward in this call of God. Let's run. He wants his believers, his people reading this letter, to enjoy assurance. That's a, a main theme in this letter. He wants God's people to enjoy not only who they are in Christ, but as they know who they are in Christ, they can run. Like they can go fulfill the mission of God. And so um, that's the assurance that'll compel us onward in this calling that we have received. Now, um, Peter wants you to grab hold of it and go. Uh, That's what he wants us to do. So it's a a short letter, only three chapters. A main theme is really chapter two where he talks about false teachers, um, which is why... He knows in this onward call, in this aggressive pursuit of taking the mission of Christ forward, he knows that false teachers could deter you. False teachers could deceive you. False teachers could distract you in this onward call. So you're going to see him in chapter one. We're going to only get two verses in today. But um, chapter one, he's basically going to say, you need to know the scriptures and you need to know your salvation. He's going to say that because if you know the scriptures and you know who you are in Christ, you have full assurance there, then false teachers won't distract you. If you don't know those things well, if you're not rooted in those things well, then you're going to be a ready victim. Makes sense? And so just keep that in mind as we look at uh, 1 Peter, and he's going to start out in verse 1 of this letter and say this. Simon Peter, just letting you know this is him writing this. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtain. Of faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So um, Peter starts out and he, he says two things. He says I'm a servant, and he says I'm an apostle. And um, I think we would all agree an apostle was the highest. Calling Jesus could give someone in his earthly ministry. They were a sent one. They were a called one, capital A Apostles. There are only 14 men who can call themselves that in the history of mankind. You have the, the 12, right? Then you have Judas drops out, and Matthias is added in Acts 1, and then you have Paul. So you have 14 capital A Apostles who were called by Jesus and used by Jesus to inaugurate his Ministry when he walked on the earth. They spoke divine revelation in those early years. They were the scripture writers. And what you have here is you have Peter reminding us that he is an apostle. And, and really, a basic qualification of an apostle is that you've seen the risen Christ. You see in 1 Corinthians, Peter says, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus? And so, um, if someone walks up to you on the street today and says, Hey, I'm a capital A apostle, uh, they're not because they haven't seen the risen Christ in the years that Jesus lived, right? We know him as he's revealed in the scriptures, through our conscience, through creation, through revelation. But he says, I'm an apostle, so here's what he wants you to get. He's not just some guy with an opinion. That's why he's telling you that. I want you to know the things that I'm saying in these letters are not just my thoughts, they're God's thoughts. I am an apostle. I've been directed by Jesus. But notice, this is interesting, he starts this letter not with hey, I'm an apostle, he starts with, I'm a servant. He says that first. He says, I'm a servant and an apostle. Now, I find this helpful because um, I feel like in our culture, are we not really into titles, right? Yes, right? You are, even if you don't understand that, right? If you're a doctor, I love you, but it's like doctor, right? <laughs> like, like, you don't call me a pastor Reed, you call me doctor Reed, right? Now, I'm not, I don't have a doctorate. If I did, you'd call me that. Okay, that's what I would make you call me. But I I am I'm, I'm Pastor Mike. I'm I'm Pastor Reed. I I, I esteem to be the, the doctorate pastors, right? The, the pastor churches, but not really, but kind of. But but it's it's this thing really in the titles, right? Call me by this. Interesting. Peter has full right and authority to just kind of just kind of smirk in front of you who he is, and he's this capital A apostle. But he starts with, I'm a servant. Now, now, I find that to be incredibly encouraging because it's beautiful because it goes, the first thing you need to know about me is I'm just a servant like you. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I happen to be an apostle, but I'm a servant of Jesus. And I think he does that because of what he says right after that. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. So here is the Apostle Peter. Now, I want you to think about everything you know about Peter. This is like Acts 2, Pentecost, 3,000 people saved Peter, right? This is like walked on water Peter. This is walked with Jesus Peter. This is John 21 Peter, Jesus saying, hey, feed my sheep, right? This is Peter, right, Matthew 16, saying, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus saying, yeah, on that profession, Peter, I'm gonna build my church. Think of that Peter. And that Peter just told you and I that our faith is of equal standing. <laughs> yes, wow. That's what I said when I read it, right? So, so he's saying, hey, I'm a servant just like you. Our, our, we're on a level playing field here. Our faith is of equal standing. Now, as you look at that, you look at that text, as he's saying we have equal status before God, that's, that's amazing, but I want you to think about that for a second. Do you really believe that? Like, do you really believe that you, if you are in Christ, if you are all that First Peter taught us about God adopting us and God calling us and God saving us and God making his kids, do you believe that you have a faith of equal standing with Peter. Or isn't there like a side of you that thinks he's got like an extra portion, right? Isn't that a part of you? Like if we could resurrect Peter and put him on the stage and we, we stood him up here, would you be able to say, yeah, we have a faith of equal standing? Is that something that you would agree with? And, and as I was reading this, I thought, man, this is this is just amazing because, yeah, as I was even sitting reading this, I thought, man, I... I don't, I don't know that I believe that. And, and I think that, that Peter's trying to help us understand if you're going to grab hold of this mission that God's called you to, if you're going to live as his ambassadors, live as his kids, you have to do your best to get out of your head that you're somehow this less loved child of God, right? There's varsity and JV in the kingdom of God. We've shown you that doesn't exist. There's Jesus and people, there's God and people. We read the Bible from a Christian lens, not a religious lens. A religious lens reads the Bible from there are a bunch of good and bad people and Jesus. The Christian lens is there's Jesus and bad people. And Jesus makes them righteous. Jesus makes them great. They're not great. Jesus is great. Right? So he gets praised. He gets praised glory and our joy gets filled so he's writing us showing us that man we have a faith of equal standing I'm a servant just like you yes I have a title yeah I'm an apostle but but who really cares about that man I want you to know that what we're doing in this calling is of equal value because of who is ours not because of who you are but because of who is ours him that's why we're not going to shut up in this place that there is Jesus and people that Jesus is the center of the story, that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, that Jesus is the center of the scriptures, that Jesus is the reason by which we see everything. We want him to be magnified, we want him to be seen, and Peter wants us to see that too. Um, you know, I was thinking practically there. Um, part of my job, right, is just counseling and um, the pastors, elders, we, we meet a lot with just others and counsel and have meetings, and one of the things that always kind of strikes me as we're having conversations, we'll talk about different topics, different areas of the Christian faith, um, is every so often I'll hear this comment, and it's, it's something like this. Well, that's you, right? Well, that's you, Pastor Mike, like you're a pastor. And I'm going, man, I have the same Holy Spirit you do. Like, our faith is of equal standing. There's no one that supersedes you. Like, elders don't have anything on you. Pastors don't have anything on you. Moses, David, Paul, Peter. I mean, we've all been given the righteousness of Christ. We've all been adopted into the same family. We've all been given the very Holy Spirit of God. So the things that I'm capable of are no different from the things you're capable of. I don't have an extra ounce. Like, I don't have, like, Mike's righteousness plus Christ. That would screw it up, right? That doesn't help any. So a lot of people see that and think that. But, man, here's what he's showing you is that there is God and there are people. And the word of God says you have a righteousness that is not yours. And that's what makes our faith of equal standing. And so if you've believed in Jesus, trusted in Jesus, the truth of the gospel says he takes your sin, gifts you his righteousness, so there is evil level playing field in God's people, and there's one who supersedes everyone, and that man is Jesus. Jesus. And he wants us to know that. He wants it to be ingrained into your head. He says it's not from the merits, efforts, and actions of us. It's from the merits, efforts, and actions of Jesus, right? So if you've really believed that, you have a faith of equal standing with Peter, with Paul, with Moses, with Joshua, with all the amazing people in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith that we're going to share glory with. That's amazing. That's pretty awesome. And That's why I love that text in James 5 I think it's verse 17. Elijah was a man just like us. (laughs) I'm going, Elijah? Like, like, do you guys know Elijah? Like, called down fire from heaven, right? Just scorched stuff, right? Just defeated armies. That Elijah, he's a man just like me, (laughs) right? I mean, I thought he was different. I thought he had like a different wiring and DNA and blood flowing. I thought he just somehow hit Marvel Comics. I don't know, I thought Elijah was different. He's saying Elijah's a man just like you and me, just like us. Um, So I would just encourage you, is you gotta ask yourself this morning, do you believe that if you're in Christ, and can you put aside your feelings and trust the word of God? Can you get the the pride of self-pity out of your veins by humbling yourself underneath him and i love this because why do we have a faith of equal standing he just answers it by the righteousness of god and by our god and savior jesus christ why is our faith a faith of equal standing because of the righteousness that peter received from jesus christ and i love that it doesn't take one verse for peter to remind us of the gospel again Right? He just, he can't stop talking about it. He gets two verses into Second Peter, and he reminds us of the great work of Christ. He's reminding us of what happens in the gospel, this great exchange, that when you believe in what Jesus has done and not what you can do, when you believe in the work and the merits and the accomplishing, atoning, unbelievably inexhaustible work of Jesus Christ on behalf of sinners, that he takes our sin and we get his righteousness, he says, man, that makes us Equal. You can't get any more righteous than that. You understand that? Like Peter's not saying that I got Christ's righteousness plus mine. He's saying nothing got added to that. I had nothing to bring to the table. We have all received that. And that's why we have a place of equal standing. Now, um, I think this is why when Jesus comes along in his ministry, um, Jesus enters the scene and he flips the tables on external conformity to internal transformation. You'll see him do this repeatedly in his ministry. You've got to take note of it. So, so the religious system was rampant. People thought it was all about what you did. They thought it was all about how you performed. They thought it was all about what you looked like externally to the world. They thought the heart didn't matter. And Jesus enters the scene and says, that's every bit of what matters, And the craziest part is, you can't change inside you. You can modify the outside you, but you can't transform inside you. So in Matthew chapter 5, he shows up and he says this. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me just say something. Without knowledge of the gospel, that statement is terrifying. Terrifying. I mean the religious, the Pharisees, they were the religious of the day. You should have seen the way that they acted externally. They tithed out of their cupboard. They were grabbing ramen noodles and throwing them in the box. Everything, right? They were looking down, bumping into things to avoid lust, wearing blinders. Like they were doing crazy, silly things to look externally righteous and Jesus comes along the scene and he says something profound here. And he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What is he doing? Is he's changing how you keep score. That's what he's doing. Because here's what um, the religious do, is the religious see a need for righteousness, and they go, okay, let's keep score. So they get their scorecard out. No alcohol this week, that's two points. How'd you do, right? Oh, I didn't, didn't cuss, That's three points, right? I didn't cheat on my taxes. That's seven points. Touchdown extra point, right? They're just doing good. Then what do they do? Hey, let's all gather our scorecards. How's yours look? How's yours look, right? And then they look, oh, mine looks better, and therefore they think their righteousness is superseding others. Therefore, I look more favorable in God's eyes. That's a religious way to view the world, right? That's the way the world was viewed from a religious lens, and Jesus comes along and says something radically different. And this is why right after that, you can read it, he moves from external conformity to internal transformation. If you keep reading, he talks about these things that you can't keep score of. He says, oh, yeah, you've heard it said don't, don't murder. Um, well, don't have anger in your heart. Right, murder, external, anger, internal, right? So in other words, he goes, the win is not just not, not murder. He goes, if you have anger in your heart, you're still not free, you're still enslaved. He talks about adultery, right? External, visible. Hey, the win is not just avoiding adultery. He goes, if you have lust in your heart, you're still not free. So the win is not just don't commit adultery. The win is replace lust with the satisfying nature of Jesus and see that he's better and more to be freed from your enslavement. So Jesus shows there's a new way to keep score and it's not externally, it's by having an internal transformation of your heart that only he can provide. And I love this because what's so beautiful is what we keep talking about in this place, that God is more concerned with transforming your heart than simply changing external behavior because he knows that the insides change, the outside flows. That's why he flips this on its head in Matthew chapter five with the religious system. He goes, no, it works from the inside out, not outside in. You can try to do all these things externally. That's not gonna change you internally. And this is why Peter just wants us to remember and understand one of the bedrocks of our faith is our righteousness that we have is given to us from something outside of us. It's not something you produced. It's not something that was inside of you. It's not something you could fabricate or manipulate. It's something given to you which transforms you and this is why I think a danger that plagues many in American Christianity is we are just so religiously lost. We are just religiously lost. We think the motto is behave when it's pursue and be transformed and even though maybe you've heard Jesus takes your sin, pays your debt, gives you righteousness, We still somehow live in a cycle of, I have to behave in a particular way for God and I to chat. That's not what the scriptures say. He says, come to me in your sin. Come to me broken, come to me honest that, that you're a sinner, that you belittle my glory, that you've trotted my planet and taken the king of the universe and tried to make him second place. Just come to me honestly, admit those things. Man, and I will shower you with grace and I will forgive you of that sin I will atone for it myself. I will appease wrath that was due you in your place and I will give you eternal life and reconciliation with God. Amazing. Amazing gift. I I think this rolls into our discipleship. Um, You meet with someone and you're encouraging them and moving with them in the gospel. Um, I think this is a a powerful way that it lands on us. Uh, For some of us, maybe you get frustrated because you don't see external righteousness in them that you see in you. So so what you should do is, instead of seeing the finish line, see the progress they've made. Because here's the truth. If you only know someone externally but not internally, you don't know someone. So don't just simply monitor them by what you see on the outside. Look at what you see on the inside. Are they maturing? Are they growing? How's your heart? Are your affections growing for God and Christ? Is your love for him increasing? What are ways that that's happening? Man, you're, wow, that's amazing, the trajectory that you're on that's how we love and walk with other believers in the faith. So if I could encourage you, enjoy seeing the progress in others, not just the finish line. And then he goes on and says this in verse two, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I love this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Stop there. <laughs> How's your week? Right? <laughs> Coronavirus, right? You got grace and peace, work, family, stress, burdens, concerns, sin, entanglements. May grace and peace be, okay, so, so God's desire for his kids is that grace and peace will be multiplied to you. So how are you doing? Is, is grace and peace multiplied to you? Are you experiencing that? Because I would argue, if you're like me, many of us are not experiencing that. Why? This is what God desires for his kids. So, our, I mean, he says he wants us in abundance, so why aren't we experiencing that? How do you get it? <laughs> so, I love going through books of the Bible with you, right? How do you, how do you get this grace and peace? Does God, does God just throw this grace and peace into your life? No, look at, look at what he says, I love this. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, sorry, and of Jesus our Lord. Please see that. That's why I always want you to look at the book, right? Read it. Don't just listen to what some crazy person says on a stage, including me, right? Like. You look at the book, right? I want to make sure you know I'm not making anything up, that I'm walking in a way that, that you're seeing the same thing in the text. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. How do you get that? Well, Peter answers it. In the knowledge of God. That's how you actually get this grace and peace. It says, through this knowledge of God. See, some of us want to try to get grace and peace other ways, right? We, we want God to do something and then we'll have grace and peace, Right? God, if you do this, if you fix this, if you change this, if you alter this, then I'll get the grace and peace that's promised to multiply to me. And what's amazing is what's transformative in this text is God says, no, this grace and peace is multiplied to you as you grow in the knowledge of me as you learn more of the character and nature of God, as you behold my glory, as you see the wonders and works of my name, as you remember the righteousness that was credited to you and the sin that I took free of charge, the debt that I paid, that you deserved, the death you were supposed to endure, I endured, the more you see that, love that, marvel that, gaze at that, he goes, that's going to change you. That's actually going to lead to grace and peace. That's amazing. I mean, how many of us are chasing grace and peace in other ways? That's amazing. If we believe the Word of God is true, if we believe the Word of God transforms, if we believe the Word of God when it says something, that's the way it is we can trust it and follow it, then He's saying something huge here. He's saying it's directly tied to knowing Him. The more you know Him, the more grace and peace you'll have in abundance. That's so good. Because it's the Bible, right? And then he just gives it to you. Um, I don't know about you, this really challenged me this week. Um, sometimes my grace and peace is just directly tethered to how others are doing or our ministry's going. Um, and, and what happens is if, if family's not doing well or this person I love isn't doing well or um, they're wrestling with sin or they're discouraged or ministry's not going well, what happens, man? Grace and peace just tends to go down. Right? Because I'm tying it to other things. And he's saying Man, grace and peace isn't tied to other things. Grace and peace is tied to all that you have in Christ. And what I believe is I think well it would be different if those things were changed because then I would have grace and peace multiplied. It's like when the disciples come back from their missionary journey, or not the disciples, the 72. They all come back, what are they doing? They're all rejoicing. Jesus, you should have seen the crazy stuff we did. Cast out demons in your name and people submitted to us, evil spirits. And what does Jesus say? Don't rejoice in that, man. There are days your ministry ain't going to go well. There are days where that isn't going to be working. He goes, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Amazing. So, in other words, if you're going to rejoice in something, rejoice that you know him and that God knows you because that's stable. That, that, that's, that's sure, that, you have assurance there. You don't have assurance in those other things, but you have assurance in that. So place your, your, your weight on that thing and grace and peace will be multiplied to you. And so I just gotta ask you, if I, if I was able to be God this morning and say, um, or, or God would give you anything that you asked for, you could only ask for one thing, what's the one thing right now you'd ask for? Think about everything going on in your life right now. And he says, I will give you anything, and it can only be one thing. What are you gonna ask him? I, I did this. And I realized I, I was asking for the wrong thing. What's that one thing? Because then I read Second Peter 1, 2. Would you have asked for greater intimacy with him? Would you have asked for that? Would you have asked for an increasing knowledge of God? Believing that as he gave you that, that would actually be the solution to most of your problems. Right? It's amazing, because that's what Peter's, Saying, believing that greater intimacy with Him, that that growing intimacy with God leads to peace and grace. That knowing who He is to you, knowing what He's done for you, knowing the truths about His work and His name. Because the truth is, we probably come in here thinking something else many times. This one thing would get fixed or changed, I'd be better, I'd have more fulfillment. Um, I don't know if you've learned like me, the other ways of chasing fulfillment in life are just constantly frustrating. They don't bring about grace and peace continuously, maybe temporarily, but nothing continues. Eventually it hits a cul-de-sac and you circle back, right? And here he's saying, man, this this is it. Peter's going, this is what God wants and it comes from knowing him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to know that your righteousness is from him and not yours. That it can't be thwarted or changed or altered. He wants you to know who you are. He's he's not withholding. He's right there. So often we look for it in other things, and God's going, man. The closer to me you get, the more peace you'll have. This is Christianity. Is not rocket science. Guys, so many people come to me, I don't know why, I just, I feel just out of control. I'm like, I don't know, what sin are you entangled in? This, 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 and this. Okay, well, that's why, right? I mean, the Bible says, pursue holiness, pursue Christ. Christ delivers you from those things, promising grace and peace. The world will not provide you that. Yet we're just caught in that cycle of insanity, believing what works that has never worked will sometime work, and we just continue to feed ourselves to the lion. And he's showing you you just haven't come to the well that is Jesus. You haven't come to the bread of life where you eat and you're satisfied. You haven't come to the well that you drink and you're full. You haven't come to that yet. And Jesus welcomes us there. Um, Think this through. Do you believe that? Just, 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 do you believe that? That grace and peace is given through the knowledge of God. Maybe you just sit on that today. Ask God to help you to believe this truth Um, this is why when you get out of western America and travel if you haven't you should probably not right now I guess but you should probably though um, but, but we, you get out of Western America and travel these places. I've been to the Philippines, done missions work there. It's why we purchased a kindergarten in the Philippines through the work of our church in the first like two years that CAB existed, and I went to Dumaguete and other places uh, near Manila, and they are in the under 2% poorest of the poor. I mean, trust me, your eyes have not seen poverty like that. You, you've, not, you've not seen the way people are living and what was amazing was I, we were working and I had to do pastoral training over there and I felt so stupid. Like why am I encouraging you? <laughs> like, like, like you're actually really on the ground. I'm whining about his A.C. and heat on today. And are the lights gonna be dim enough or bright enough? or I mean you guys are just laboring literally in mud bowls with people on top of each other seeing dead refugee camps next door. Like I, don't have a, I don't have a framework for that. I'm supposed to come here and encourage you and teach you how to pastor? You know what was so amazing to me? You know what brought grace and peace to those brothers and sisters? Not the circumstance. It was knowing him. That was it. Their joy, their gladness, their peace amidst horrific experience was that they were growing in their knowledge of God. I ask all of them, What sustains you? Him. What keeps you going? Knowing him. See, the true gospel is only something that works everywhere. Right? Prosperity gospel doesn't work everywhere. You have to understand that. You being healthy, wealthy, happy, everything always working out, that gospel doesn't exist and that gospel doesn't work everywhere. The gospel of Jesus Christ works everywhere for the prideful, for the self-righteous, for the poor, for the rich, brings everybody the same epicenter. And brings you to Jesus. And he's the one you need to know. He's the one you need to grow in the knowledge of. That's where he roots us. And I, I remember being there. What's so encouraging is I was overwhelmed at their joy in ministry. I was overwhelmed. Because they knew him. And Shahbaz, who's in Pakistan, that brick kiln, who there literally have people in their church who have been beaten for worshiping Jesus. What, what, what gives them grace and peace? <laughs> Knowing him. Knowing him, growing in their knowledge of God, growing in their understanding of what Jesus has done. So let me just say this um, in a different way for us. If, if, Taking these texts, if you go into a counseling session or a, just a time or a growth group, and you, your approach is, this is going to fix my problem, this is gonna fix my issue, experience has shown you bail quickly and don't stick with it. Okay, But if you enter into that counseling session or you enter into that pr- moment of prayer, you enter into that growth group meeting, and your goal is, man, I wanna see more of the knowledge of God here. I want him to re- reveal more of his character and nature. I want him to re- reveal more of the spaces by which I'm not believing that or seeing that rightly. Odds are, his history will show, you stick with it. You don't bail. You wanna know why? Because you're getting caught up and swept up by who God is growing in the knowledge of him and not him simply fixing things you don't like. Which is why people bail on Christianity, right? Well, God hasn't fixed this. That's not what he promised you, he promised you him. And he wants you to see him. And he wants you to love him and grow in him and be swept up by his glory. Second Corinthians four says, we're transformed by beholding when we look at him. We're changed from one shade of glory to the next. I think it's chapter 4 verse something. No, it's chapter 3 verse 18. Right? This is this whole idea. We need to press in and figure out who God is. And if we go in like that, we begin to be transformed, which leads to good works, which begins to be a life that bears fruit. Let me just show you a place this same wording is used that Peter uses in a different way. The apostle Paul said it, same wording, same use, same meaning. So Paul writes, different apostle, to the church of Colossians, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. You're gonna see it all over the New Testament now that I said it, right? Now, now, here's what's amazing when when you see this. I bet a number of us are going, yeah, Pastor Mike, I wanna know how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I wanna know how to please him. I've never met a Christian that doesn't desire that. I wanna bear fruit. So what do we do? We just try to do it, right? I'm gonna live a life pleasing. I'm gonna muster it up. I'm gonna white knuckle Christianity for the rest of my days. I'm just gonna try to be a religiously active, good, moral, behaving kid. We're so religiously lost. You know what's amazing? He writes it in a circular way. Really, because that's the way Paul writes, really what he's saying is, you grow in the knowledge of God, and that leads to a life pleasing to him, which leads to good works that bears fruit. That's how you should read that. As you're increasing in the knowledge of God, the rest follows. You don't do good works and fall in love with Jesus, yet everyone thinks that. I don't understand. I go to church, right? I don't understand, I do good deeds. Why am I not falling following in love with Jesus? Well, you, you need to get to know him, okay? You, can, you, need a, you need to read the scriptures that reveal to you who he is and what he's like, and as you grow in the knowledge of God, as you increase in his character and nature and understanding that is who you are under him, you become showered with grace, peace is multiplied to you, and good works begin to flow, not vice versa. It's so incredibly important that we see this, and that we understand this. I love that Paul doesn't leave us hanging here. He says we do these things because we understand a knowledge of God. We have a knowledge of God that leads to works. And then he says it, I love this, I'm going to end with this. He says it in another way, just with different words. He says, may you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. (laughs) Sorry. It's just, God just humors me sometimes. Because now he's saying, in this text, the power we need to press in and know him that leads to transformed lives is not yours. Like, you don't even muster that. Like, your desire to even increase in his knowledge, you don't get praised for. He actually does that. He grants it. It's our job to ask for it. It's our job to submit to him, to plead for it, to put kindling in place, but we can't muster it. This is why the Bible over and over and over again, he gets praise, he gets glory, he gets worshiped. Why? Because he does because he gets all praise, all worship, all glory for all things. And and this is why, I love this, if you've been given the grace to pursue him according to this text and know him deeply, it's because he's been merciful to you. It's because he's showing you grace. It's not because he looked at you and said, you know what? Man, they need to be on my team. How is the kingdom of capital C Christ going to survive and make it 100 yards into the end zone if I don't have them? God's never said that. Do you know that? He's never said that. He's never looked down and said, how is this going to work out? I need him and his gifts. Never said that. And I say that because this is so wildly popular in American evangelicalism. You'll hear people say, man, but I, I'm, I'm so gifted in this and this and this, God has to use me. You, there's never been a day God woke up and said, "Oh my goodness, I missed it." I missed it. I missed it. I missed it, right? Man, I'd love to do this right now, but no one's listening to me. It must be Super Bowl Sunday, right? Like he's never said that. He's never That's not how it works. God works by using people because of who he is and what he's done. Do you understand that? And the gifts are a grace from him. So at the end of the day, you still don't boast in you, you boast in him. So that even as you grow in the knowledge of God, that's what it's doing. Even that is humbling you as you're thinking about that theological truth, which begins to transform you, which begins to put you in a place of being used for God's glory. Not because he has to, but because you get to. You just, this is so, man, I want to just sit, I, I want to yell at you for like two more hours about it. I can't, because we got to close. But, but, but this is, just, just, so just let's just sit there for a second, because here's what's awesome. You know the next verse Peter's going to say next week? I'm going to show it to you. And just read it. I'm not making this up. Peter's going to say the same thing next week. And I can't wait to unpack it. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life of godliness through the knowledge of him who called us into his glory and excellence. The Bible's consistent, friends. The Bible's not inconsistent. So I love this. Peter knows the same thing. Peter's gonna show us this call to run with all our might, knowing that we're his children, is sustained by him growing in us a knowledge of Him so we can take this onward call for His glory and grace, for our joy and the mission of Christ, amen? Let's pray and ask Him for help. Jesus, thank you that it's by growing in a knowledge of you that we can run hard after what we've already obtained. Think about just Paul's language in the Philippian to the Philippian church that, that he wants to gain Christ even though he already has Christ. So God, thank you that we can run, because we've already obtained salvation, because we're already fully your children, because we've already been given forgiveness of sin, that is why we can run with all our might into the calling you've placed on our lives, to live a life as an image bearer of your name, being a bright, helpful witness of your work, name, and renown, so that you would get glory and we would get joy and your church would praise you. Father, would you simply remind us this morning that we have a faith of equal standing because of the righteousness given to us by Jesus Christ. And thank you that grace and peace can be multiplied to us solely through the knowledge of you. Would you do that in us? Would you create that in us? Would you help the teaching and preaching ministry of your church to be one that that continually declares and points people's eyes to who God is and what he is like and what he has done? God, protect your bride from drifting at all from the gospel of grace. And Jesus, help us to love you more today than we did yesterday because you've, by your mercy, placed us together in purpose and with intent And with great joy. I thank you that God we're going to enjoy an edible gospel. Remembering that the righteousness came to us. Because you broke your body and you shed your blood. In Jesus name, amen.